Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message. Well, I want to talk to you this morning. Actually, I want to preach. I'm not going to just talk. I want to talk to you about free floating anxiety overcoming the things that you worry about and you don't know why you worry about them. You say, preacher, what's free-floating anxiety? Well, it's that, it's that sense of uneasiness that can produce fear. Anybody know anybody that's got some free-floating anxiety attaching, or can I say attracting itself? Have you ever heard the phrase, we have nothing to fear but you know where that came from that was a direct quote from the 32nd president of the United States Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his inaugural address if you've ever read anything about FDR you know that he came from a distinguished public family and they helped set him up for success but in his presence in his presidency He dealt with fear. His major fear, you can read in his biography, is that not only was he afraid of his paralysis, but he was afraid of burning alive, uh, being burnt to death while trapped in a burning building. And yet, during his inaugural address, he stood to his feet and said, well, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Can I tell you, I don't think I would teach my grandkids that. Because quite frankly, there are some things that we should be fearful of. Now, when you consider fear from a biblical perspective, there is both a healthy fear and there's a negative fear. Healthy fear is a healthy fear of God. It's what David said in Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all of the people of the world revere him. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him, watch this, lack nothing. So that's a healthy fear. But then what I want to talk about today is all of these negative fears that seem to attach themselves to all of these phobias, if you please. Fred Culbertson, who is the creator of a website, an actual website called phobialist.com, lists over 500 fears that people experience in our culture today. I thought I'd share a few of those with you. First of all, there's ablutophobia, the fear of washing or bathing. Ergophobia, the fear of work. <laughs> Pentrophobia, the fear of your mother-in-law. How many of you have that? No, don't raise your hand. We live. We live today in a fearful world. I, I get it. Some fears are legitimate. But there are a lot of fears, quite frankly, that we let other people talk us into. And I want to talk to you I promise I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to minimize some legitimate fears that you have to deal with. But here's what I do know. 
The Bible tells me that God has not given to me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. And I believe it is possible to get a handle on fear so that fear doesn't get a handle on you. In 21st century culture, we can never stop fear coming at us, but we can, in Jesus' name, keep fear from attaching itself to us. And to understand how to overcome those things that we worry about and we don't know why, I want to look at the life of David. David. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 27, we find that... uh, David is in training to become the man of God. He's been appointed by God to be the next king and leader of Israel. He's young. The spirit of the Lord is is maturing him. And yet Saul, who who he is going to replace, is still on the throne. Saul knows that David has been appointed by God. Saul knows that David is the next leader. And Saul becomes jealous of the man of God. And David gets afraid. His fear is real. But hear me this morning because I believe the word of the Lord I want to speak over some of you is this. It's one thing to be confronted by fear. It's another thing to give in to fear. And today what I believe the spirit of the Lord is saying, some of you need to starve your fear and feed your faith. You got to starve your fear and feed your faith. And I want to talk about that. In a simple presentation, I want to first of all talk to you about the results of giving into fear. But then I want to transition and talk to you about how to stand strong and not give into fear. Looking at the life of David. First of all, let's consider some realities of giving into fear. First thing that happens when you give into fear is that you think to yourself more than you should. You think to yourself more than you should. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. The Bible says that David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. I would submit to you that the problem with David's fear was that he thought to himself too much and he forgot the promises of God. When you think to yourself too much, you'll forget the promises of God. Your mind, your thoughts can lead you away from the certainty of God's appointment. Life change took place at these altars a few minutes ago. But as you start thinking to yourself, the enemy will use your thinking to say, oh, that was just an emotional transaction rather than an eternal transaction. Verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask, olive oil. He brought it and anointed David with oil. The spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully. I suspect that spiritual moment was much like several of you experienced a few minutes ago. You felt the presence of God. You you felt the spirit of the Lord. And yet David goes from having that tangible uh, appointment of God to watch this. He says, verse 1, the best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemy. 
How can a person go from having the spirit of the Lord upon him, breaking off some of those, those shackles of fear to then saying, well, I guess the best thing I can do is escape into the enemy's camp. I'll tell you what happens. When we face tough, real life situations, you have a tendency to either listen to yourself or you can listen to the truth of God's word. And I don't know about you, but myself lies to me at times. But God's word will never lie to me. And I believe what some of you need to wrap your spirit around today is you need to let God talk be louder than self-talk. Self-talk says, I can't do this. God talks says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Self-talk says, I don't know how to do this. God talks says, if you lack wisdom, you can ask it of God, who gives it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Self-talk says, I'm not sure which direction to go. God talks says, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in the details of our lives. So I don't think we can ever stop fear from confronting itself to us, but we can keep ourselves from being overcome by fear by letting God talk be louder than self-talk. David thought to himself too much, and he found himself retreating to the enemy. Second thing I notice regarding giving in to fear is that you forfeit your ability to make good decisions. When you live in fear, you forfeit your ability to make godly decisions. <laughs> Again, back to verse one. David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. Now watch this. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. No, David. <laughs> That's not the best thing you can do. Why would you want to escape from one enemy, the enemy of fear, and go into another enemy and hide out? Problems can look large. Relationships can seem unresolvable. Uh, people collapse in fear, and they run to a worse situation. They get delivered from a relationship only to run to a worse relationship. You see, fear distorts your perspective. Fear causes you to not make good decisions. Third thing I notice about giving in to fear is that it can create instability for others around you. So David, verse 3, and his men and their families... Settled there with Achish at Gath. David brought his two wives along with him and, and, and went there. And word soon reached Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he stopped hunting for them. It was not just David. It was David and his men, David and their families. We often think in life that my problems are just my problem. My life is my life. My emotions are my emotion. And we never take into consideration the other people around us that might be affected by that. I can tell you every action has a reaction, every kick has a kickback, and your faith or your fear will impact other people. I know that for, to be a fact. I'll share my testimony in a few minutes, but I was raised by a single mom. My dad died when I was nine years of age. My mom, who's 90 years old, watching us online today, still very involved in ministry, walks several miles every day, uh, just, just very, very engaged in ministry. 
I remember hearing her often when talked about, Sister Clay, what was it like to raise your boys on your own? What was it like to be a widow? What was it like to all that? I can constantly hear her say, I could either be mad at God and get bitter at him, or I could trust in him. And can I tell you that her trusting in God set us, her kids, up for success. I believe that with all of my heart. It manifested itself when I was inaugurated as the 13th General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I invited my mom to be a part of that special day. At the time, she was 85 years old, sitting on the front row. And I I never saw a lady smile so big and cry so hard at the same time. Her little boy was being inaugurated as the 13th General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God. and, And she was sitting there just beaming and smiling. And after all of the events, I was driving her back to the airport. And I started probing a little bit about early on in our life when dad first died and some of the members of the church didn't want her to stick around and and to do different things. I said, mom, do you remember when such and such said this about you? And she said, honey, God was faithful. God was faithful. And then I started again. I said, yeah, but do you remember when such and such situation came up and they didn't think, honey, honey, God was faithful. Then I went for the juggler. I named some names of some people. I rehearsed to her what they said about her. And I mean a spirit of slap, not Will Smith, but a spirit of godly slap came over her. She slapped that dashboard. She looked at me. She said, honey, if I would have rehearsed all of the negative stuff that I went through in life, you wouldn't be where you're at today. Mic drop right there. And I think she's right. Because the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no root of bitterness grows up in your heart lest it defiles other people. I'm telling you, friends, when you give in to fear, it causes instability not just for you but for others around you. Third thing I notice, or fourth thing I notice about giving in to fear is that you'll do things you said you would never do. You'll do things you said. David was called to deliver his people from the oppression of the Philistines. He was anointed by God. There was a, there was a manifest experience where, where oil was poured on his head. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And now... He's choosing to live with them. He's choosing to have the very people he was called to deliver his people from. He's hanging out with. Sidebar comment. David never wrote and never composed a psalm during the time that he was hanging out with the Philistines. In other words, he never functioned in his destiny. He never operated in the realm of his gifts when he was living in fear. I would submit to you, he ultimately lost his identity. He lost his purpose. For Samuel 29, verses 1 through 3, the entire Philistine army mobilized by Aphek and the Israelites camped at Spring Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands, watch this, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. 
here is the deliverer of Israel. Here is the next king marching in the rear of the enemy's camp. Why? See, when you give in to fear, it can take you down a path that leads you to not even knowing yourself. Dads, when you give in to fear, it can take you down a path where you, you forget your role and your purpose of being a father or a husband. Ah, but the good news is, in the Bible, there was also somebody who was confronted by fear and didn't give in to it. His name was Noah. Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. I love Noah. Noah was someone who preached to his generation, but he built a system for the next generation. So you might be dealing with some circumstances right now, real things, health issue, relationship issues, job issues. I, I do not want to minimize the legitimacy of some fearful things that we get confronted by. In fact, you might feel like Jeremiah, who in the book of Lamentations says, they threw me into a pit and dropped stones on me. But this is also the same writer who said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. So how can we? How can we as Holy Ghost, Christ-following people, keep free-floating anxiety from attaching itself to us? Very simply, I would give you these three remedies to overcoming fear. Number one, you've got to fill your mind with truth. You've got to fill your mind with truth. And the more you fill your mind with God's word, the more it will drive fear out of your life. You see, scripture has the ability to protect your emotions, and guard your thinking when you go through one of those why is this happening to me type times. Just think about, just think about how much scripture you've heard in this service already. Think about how much scripture has been there. I would submit to you that scripture is the earthly way that God wants to bring his heavenly presence into your world. Why is scripture so important? Why is God talk so much better than self-talk? And why, why is it that you say scripture can anchor your emotions and protect your thinking? Quite frankly, church, because God has both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he made. Have you ever been the victim of a broken promise? It hurts. And generally, when somebody breaks their promise... It's a lack of integrity. They don't follow through on what they said. Or it's a lack of ability. They don't have the resources to back up they said. But come on, I'm here to declare to you today that we have a God that's got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise in his word. He doesn't lie. I suspect I discovered the power of uh, God's integrity and God's ability in my own life, my freshman year in college. So I'm a third generation Pentecostal preacher's kid, right? I was born and raised in this thing. I cut my teeth in the back of church pews. Man, if the service got going a little too long, I knew which Sunday school teacher served the best snacks. 
So I would sneak out and I'd find that supply closet and I would chow down on Chips Ahoy cookies. I'm telling you, I love the church. As a preacher's kid, I was left sleeping in a pew many Sundays, Sunday nights. Mom thought dad was going to take me home. Dad thought mom was going to take me home. Can I tell you, you can sing all you want. He fights my battles, but when you wake up and you're the only one in that sanctuary and the lights are out, that's a spooky place to wake up, I'm just telling you. I love the church. When I was nine years old, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. I was nine, my brother was 15, my sister was 18. But I got to tell you, I never felt the negative impact of being raised by a single mom because I was a part of a healthy, life-giving church, much like ALC, where long before this title was popular in certain apostolic cultures, I just experienced it, I had a lot of spiritual dads. In fact, can I just say, if, if, if you're here today and you're a single mom, Number one, you're my hero. And number two, you can make it. You can make it. I promise you, you can make it. I believe that, that God not only gives a dispensation of his strength and his grace to single mom, but you're going to need the support of a life-giving church like this, of a youth ministry like this, of a kids ministry like this, to come around and, and be a part of what God wants to accomplish. So I, I grew up, I grew up sensing the call of God on my life. I grew up not feel, in fact, this sounds crazy. I grew up with kids, I grew up feeling sorry for kids who only had one dad. I had spiritual dads that helped me build my Pinewood Derby car, spiritual fathers that would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball games, spiritual dads that would take me on canoe trips. It was in the context of the local church that I felt God's call on my life to go into the ministry. So I took off and I went to Bible college. Whew, and that's when I had the encounter. I started meeting other preacher's kids. In fact, my roommate was a preacher's kid from Carlinville, Illinois. And on the weekends, he would go home and his dad would give him an opportunity to take part in a service. His dad would give him an opportunity uh, maybe to be a part of a board meeting. And so he would come back late Sunday night, early hours Sunday morning. We'd stay up and we'd just start talking church stuff. He would say things, my dad said this is how we ought to do leadership training. My dad said this is how we ought to teach the gifts of the spirit. My dad said this is how we ought to do community outreach. My dad said, my dad said, my dad... And for one of the first times in my life, I felt like I had been cheated by God. I thought, Lord, I would like a dad that would mentor me in this pastoral pursuit. I would like a dad that would walk out these principles once again when you go through some difficult situations in life. Let me park right there for a moment. The psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can't promise you that life is going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you that you're not going to walk through a deep, dark valley as described in Psalm 23. But hear me, valleys were never intended to camp out in, but to walk through. Because if you camp out in a valley, you begin to think like a victim. 
But in the valley, the, the psalmist says, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. I've never thought about it this way. I get what a rod, a rod is what a shepherd used to defend the sheep against predators. But the staff, the crook part of that, interesting. The imagery is thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd would take the, the, the crook part of that staff and pull the sheep back to himself. Now I get it, according to James, if we draw nigh unto God, God will draw nigh unto us. The psalmist gives me this picture that I serve a God that wants to draw him, me back to himself. I, 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 I see a picture of a God that says, hey, get back here. I need you, I need you closer into my presence. So I can't promise you that life's going to be hassle-free, but I can promise you in that dark valley, as you keep walking, there's a staff of the Lord that's going to draw you back to himself. So I'm, I'm bumming. I'm thinking, God, you're not just, you're not fair. Why would you do something like this to our family? And I talked myself into quitting school and wanting to go home and take care of my mom. I remember calling her one night and said, Mom, this doesn't make sense. Why would God do something so unjust to our family? And like only a godly pastor's wife mom could do. She said, Honey, I can't answer your whys, but I can promise you this. And my mom broke into this really cool prayer. She said, Lord, you said in your word. <laughs> now, I kind of grew up old school where my mom used that phrase an awful lot. And can I confess, I, I, I feel just right at home in this house. And so I'm going to tell you, I'm 59 years old. I'm the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. But I got to confess something to you. I don't think everything my mom said was in the book was really in the book. <laughs> I think she said that sometimes to leverage her authority against us boys. But man, this time she was spot on because she said, Lord, you said in your words you'd be a father to the fatherless. And I claimed that promise for my son, Doug. We hung up and I didn't feel any better. I continued to rehearse the reality of my situation through my own emotions, not through the truth of Scripture. And I had talked myself almost into walking away from the destiny that God had for my life. Two days, I was in chapel. I was now kind of had this attitude, God, you're not fair, you're unjust, why would you do this? And there was a missionary and he called for the students to come forward and all the students were coming forward. God, I'll go where you want me to go. And when students were coming forward, I didn't. I just turned around and I knelt in my chapel seat. And by this time, I couldn't even pray. I was just venting frustration to God. God, this stinks. I was in that knelt position having a pity party for myself when pretty soon I felt the strength and the warmth of this large hand placed on my back. And I knew it was somebody from old school Pentecost because while they were praying, they were pushing on my back at the same time. I grew up with that. Man, I was the only kid in elementary school never checked for scoliosis because the deacons aligned me every Sunday night at the altar. I turned around and I looked. There was Coach Arnold. Coach Arnold, six foot six, 250 pounds, a hulk of a man. And he had his paw, I mean his hand on my back. When I turned and looked, 
he had a crocodile tear coming down his cheek. He said, Duggar, I knew your dad and I know your mom and both of them would be really proud of you. And then it happened. He took his hand, he put it over to my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. He said, I just want you to know that as long as you're at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. And when he said son, I jumped up and he hugged me and I tried to hug him and I snotted and cried all down the front of his shirt. But church, in that embrace, it was like God put on an instant replay in my mind that 48 hours earlier, there was a godly mom who said, Lord, you said in your word. I can't promise you that things are going to get better. I can't promise you that we're not going to have more outbreaks of a virus. I can't promise you that racial tensions are going to lighten up. I can't promise you that the next political cycle is going to be less, more civil in any way. But here's what I can promise you. Though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, it's the word of our God that stands forever. We've got a God who's got the integrity and the ability to back up every Every single promise in his word. So the promises of healing, the promises of provision, the promises of deliverance, it's not wishful thinking. God's got the integrity and the ability to honor his word. And I think at times when we allow free-floating anxiety to sort of attach ourselves, quit watching Fox News, quit listening to CNN, get into the Word of God, and let the truth of God's Word fill your mind. Fill your mind. If only David hadn't listened to himself, I don't think he would have marched in the enemy's camp at the rear. He would have remembered Hey, God has appointed me. God has anointed me. I'll get through this. So one of the remedies of overcoming fear, it's not that you stick your head in the ground and say, there is no fear, there is no fear. No, some of you face some very fearful situations, health-wise, relationship-wise, with your kids, trouble that they're in with the law, and how do you respond? Those are real issues. But if you fill your mind with truth... God will give you wisdom, discernment, and how to respond and keep yourself from being sabotaged by fear. So you fill your mind with truth. Second thing I think it's important um, or one of the remedies to overcome fear is to fill your spirit with the Holy Spirit. To fill your spirit with the Holy Spirit. One of the things I'm so grateful about this church is this church doesn't view the Holy Spirit as an it to be debated or a ghost to be feared. He is the third member of the Godhead and our relationship with him is vital for Christian living. Vital for Christian living. When you ask Christ to come into your life, the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit takes residency in your life. Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation. Would you say those two words with me? No condemnation. Come on, say it again. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now watch this. And because you belong to him, the power, the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. No condemnation. That is freeing. 
Too many people live with things that condemn them, that God has forgiven them. You live with guilt. You live with regret. You live with, I wish. And I would submit to you that one of the works of the person of the Holy Spirit in your life, he goes way beyond giving you spirit-inspired speech. He goes way beyond being used in a sign gift, and I believe in all that. But I would submit to you that one of the gifts, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in your life is to protect you from yourself and the wrong thinking that the enemy tries to trip you up with. He said, oh, that sounds like a little hype. Well, check out this verse in verse 5 of Romans chapter 8. Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead who lives inside of you, think about things that please the Spirit. So stop getting tripped up by all the things that God has forgiven you. And it's one thing to know you've been set free. It's another thing to walk in and live in that understanding that the Holy Spirit can help sustain you with right thinking. Paul goes on later in Romans 5 and says, the mind of the flesh, the mind that dwells on the flesh, it leads to death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit lives to life and peace. Come on, can I give you a teaching nugget today? Part of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to give you a sense of contentment for where you're at, even if where you're at is not ideal. That's a word over somebody here. That the Holy Spirit can bring to you a sense of contentment for where you're at, even if where you're at's not ideal. That's what life and peace mean. I love the fact that it's the Holy Spirit who makes known and brings the presence of Jesus just real and alive in our lives. You see, the enemy of your soul understands the power of a person living free from fear. And so that's why the enemy floats this anxiety around through cultural issues, through certain situations. But that's why the Holy Spirit can keep you free from that. It's presence, presence. I suspect I discovered the power of presence from my grandson, Jackson. So let me ask in the house today, are there any grandparents? If you're a grandparent, can I see your hand? Yeah, isn't grandparenting awesome? I love grandparenting. I've discovered the reason why grandparents and grandkids get along so well, we've got the same common enemy, their parents. So we have seven grandchildren, ages nine to two. Five of them are boys. And the oldest grandson, Jackson, about three years ago when he was six years old, he and I decided that it would be okay for him to have his first overnighter at Papa's house. Now, it took a lot of convincing of his mom, my firstborn, but we tag-teamed together and we convinced her it was okay. I'll never forget when I went over to the house to pick him up. When I came, he was standing in the doorway. He had a Spider-Man backpack just jammed full of pajamas and snacks and DVDs. And when I pulled into the driveway, he said, Papa, Papa. I said, Jackson, you ready to come to Papa's house? He said, yes. I walked up to the door to get him. I grabbed his hand. I turned and started walking back to the truck. And all of a sudden, his mom, my firstborn, 
<clears throat> cleared her throat and said, Dad, Dad. I turned around, I said, yeah. And she handed me a three by five card. <laughs> with a set of six very specific instructions. I thought, my God, I raised her better than this. I started looking at these instructions. I got down to instruction number three. It said, Dad, comma, after 6 p.m., please make sure you put two parts water, one part apple juice in a sippy cup. Well, first of all, we don't do mixed drinks at Papa's house. We're 100% Dr. Pepper at Papa's house. Can I get a witness? Two parts. Yeah. Okay, babe, I got it. We got in the truck. I ripped that sucker up. I said, come on, Jackson, we're going to Papa's house. And we did it. We had fun. We played wiffle ball. We played hide and go seek. We watched Paw Patrol cartoons. I mean, it was awesome. He got his bath. He got his jammies on. It was, it was beautiful. And about the time he was to retire, there was a southwest Missouri storm that whipped up. I mean, a doozy of a storm. Loud thunder, crackling lightning. And I could tell Jackson was a little anxious. I said, little buddy, do you want to sleep in Papa's room? He said, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. So I made him a little sleeping area just down on my side of the bed. He lay down. I said, now go to sleep, Jackson. Boom, a crack of thunder with it. He'd jump up. I'd say, you're okay, lay down, a flash of lightning, heat pop up. This happened about four different times. After the fourth time it happened, I said something. Now, preachers, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You ever just said something, you don't know where it comes from? It just kind of comes out. After it comes out, you really can't reel it back in. But it just, it came out and he popped up. I, he, I could tell he was anxious and I was just concerned. I wanted him to lay down, but... What I said to him makes no meteorological sense, certainly makes no theological sense. I was just trying to help him out. He popped up, looked scared about the thunder, and I looked at him. I said, Jackson, little buddy, you don't have to be afraid of thunder. Thunder is nothing more than just God moving his furniture up in heaven. <laughs> Grandma, don't judge me. Don't judge me, Grandma. You would have put Robitussin in that sippy cup, so don't judge me. He said, okay, laid back down, next crack of thunder. He didn't jump up. I'm like, cool. I'll let his kids pastor work on his theology. I just want him to fall asleep. <laughs> so I roll over. I'm thinking he's out. And then a loud reverberating thunder hit. And yeah, come on, grandparents, we have an extra sense. I could feel a set of eyes just looking at my back. And when I rolled over, he wasn't standing all the way up. He was just looking above, just, just looking above the bed rail. And I rolled over. And before I could say anything, he said, Papa, do you think that I could lay with you till God quits moving his furniture? I said, you bet, little buddy. I picked him up and I plopped him down in bed with me. In 30 seconds, he was out out. You see, church, as long as he was in close proximity to Papa, he had the sense of security to rest comfortably to be able to fall asleep. 
Can I tell you in this life, sometimes what you need most is the presence of God. You don't need another association. You don't need another blog. You don't need another group session. You don't need another therapy. Sometimes what you need is just the manifest presence of Jesus to say, I've got you in the palm of my hand. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. You're a child of God. And part of the work of the third person of the Godhead known as the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us brings the manifest presence of Jesus into your life when you need it most. Fill your spirit with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons. Beginning the service, your pastor encouraged you to pray in the Spirit. You know, know one of the benefits of praying in the Spirit for me is this. I've discovered that in my own strength and in my own willpower, I can't defeat the enemy. But the Holy Spirit can. So I'm tired of trying just with my willpower and trying just with my own discipline. Sometimes I need the Holy Spirit to fight my battles for me. So you fill your mind with truth. You fill your spirit with the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you, you fill your life with faith-filled friends. One of the strongest remedies for overcoming fear is to fill your life with faith-filled friends. That's why my groups are so important. I heard about a my group today that almost couldn't come to a conclusion because people were talking, people were sharing, people were... That, that faith-filled friends are essential for the Christian walk. That's why you gather together. You don't gather together just to have some sort of high-impact spiritual aerobics. You gather together as a corporate body to, to not only worship God, but to, to create relationships that, well... According to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help up. But someone who falls alone, the Bible says is in real trouble. Faith-filled friends. You know, I'll give an honest confession of a general superintendent. There have been times when my faith has been weak, but it's someone else's faith that's gotten me through my difficulty. When my own faith has been weak, when my own faith, even as a spiritual leader, has been, has been more tempted to quit than to keep going, more tempted to succumb to what's going on than, than overcome, it's been the faith of some of my friends who's brought a word in season or I don't know if your theology will let you accept this, but I believe sometimes there are texts in season that can be used. And I experienced this in the Atlanta airport. So I got a good friend. We've done life together when I was in youth ministry. He was a coffee dealer. And, and uh, we did a missions trip here, oh, several years ago to Romania. He was a part of it with me. And we spoke at a couple conferences and a crusade. On the way home, I got sick. And there's nothing worse than traveling and being sick. And I had to go from like Prague to, uh, to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Chicago, Chicago. And I just was, I was chilling. And every time we would, we'd come to a different city, I'd, I'd go to the gate and I'd just, I'd curl up in a ball and I'd just, I'd fall asleep. Well, unbeknownst to me, my good friend, each time I fell asleep, took his camera 
and started videotaping me. Just, just videotaping. He got that thing real close to certain parts of my face and, and just, just all kind. I had no idea he was doing that. Here a few years ago, I was uh, supposed to be in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, flying from Springfield to Atlanta, Atlanta to Harrisburg. I can take you. It was gate D, terminal D, gate 32. If you've ever traveled, you know that as soon as delays keep sequentially being delayed, something's going to happen. I was on my way to the Pennsylvania-Delaware district to preach their ordination service. They had 32 ministers who were going to be ordained and lay their hands on. It's the high mark of a district council. You recognize the call of God on these young leaders, and and it's 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 a very important event in the life of a district. And I could tell I probably wasn't going to make it. I was texting the superintendent, Steve, I'm sorry, we're delayed again, but I'll change here in the airport as soon as we get there. Steve, I'm sorry, it looks like we're delayed. And, and all of a sudden, I just got mad. Ah, stupid. Why in the world? You, you know, Lord, I should have never left the church. Why? You know, I was mad at every. I was mad at Delta. I was ready to sue Delta. I was ready to curse Delta. I mean, I just, uh, uh, which stands for don't leave early or expect your luggage. I don't know, something like that. And I just, I let this get in my spirit, something that was out of my control, but I was letting impact my spirit. God, why? Should have never accepted this. And all of a sudden, I felt this. And I looked, and it was a text from my buddy Gary. And when I opened up the text, all of a sudden, music by Rascal Flatts started playing. Life is a highway. You got to ride it all night long. (laughs) You didn't think I listened to Rascal, did you? And while that song was playing, he showed me sleeping, drooling, snoring in different positions, all coming back from Prague. Then he turned the phone around to himself and he said, Hey, Mr. GS, life's a great adventure. I'm glad I get to journey it with you. And I don't know if your theology will let you, but that was a text in season. I had let a canceled flight by Delta ruin my joy, take away my question, my calling and all that. But a faith-filled friend who set a text in season did something to lift my spirit, to keep me from being overcome by the reality that was in front of me. So I wasn't denying that I was going to not make my appointment But there was something about a friend who spoke the word of God, who spoke a truth, who just spoke a a, a text in season. And that's part of my groups. That's part of coming to church. It's part of the value of being in person. I recognize those who who are domestic and globally watching online. But can I tell you, there's something about being in the presence of the Lord with one another. There's a lift. There's a contagious. There is an encouragement that happens. There's also an opportunity for you to speak a word of life in season. More times than not, when dealing with fearful situations... It's been the faith of other people that's been a source of strength to me. Trey, I want you to start playing, if you can, a little bit. Fear. This whole free-floating anxiety. I, I, I get it. Fear's real. Fear's no respecter of persons. You don't get to a certain level of spirituality where you're never confronted with fear. 
But hear me, church, with every fiber of fear that comes your way, there is a faith that will endure. Can I say that again? With every fiber of fear that will come your way, there's a faith that endures. Let me give you some examples of that. So to the fear of the unknown, there is a saving faith. Paul said, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for that. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. To the fear of inadequacies, there's a strengthening faith. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in your weakness. And to the fear of just daily living, there's a sustaining faith. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I am your God. Let nothing terrify you. I will make you strong and help you. I will protect you and will save you. So my spirit today, I feel like what the word that's been complimentary of what the spirit's been doing in all day is encouraging you to keep fear from being attracted to you. So starve your fear, feed your faith. Starve your fear, feed. Cast off. Say, how do you do that? You got to trust the Holy Spirit. In my own flesh, I can't just cast off. But I begin to pray in the Spirit. When I begin to rehearse the truth of God's Word that I already know, that's how you cast off fear. Today, I want to encourage you to recommit yourself to filling your mind with truth, to filling your spirit with the Holy Spirit, more than your emotions. And I want to encourage you to not only be the kind of friend, but to let other faith-filled friends be a manifest presence of faith in your life when you go through, why is this happening to me? We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.